Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, thank you for inviting me to come and speak here again. But anyway, this morning we're looking at um, Philippians chapter 2, and it's not just from 12 to 30. It's uh, Over the next two weeks, we're going to look at the whole of chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 1 this morning. But this letter, just by way of introduction, is all about uh, sharing the joy that we have in the Lord Jesus. And the theme of joy rings through this whole book and uh, it's like bells every time we, we study it. It's like a light that's shining in the midst of deep darkness. And um, whether that darkness is a difficult experience that you're going through, whether you're facing uncertain times like Paul was, um, or if you are living or working or studying amongst people who live in this dark world without Christ, this book is for you and I. It's been given to us to encourage us to keep our light shining. It's been given to us to um, be aware that there are people watching us. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 3 that you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. So people out there in this dark world are watching us as Christians to see whether what we have is the real thing or not. A little story. A mother was making breakfast for her two little boys called Kevin and Ryan. And the boys started arguing over who was going to have the first pancake that came out of the pan. And so mum saw this as a perfect opportunity to have a a moral lesson, a spiritual lesson if you like. And she said, now hold on boys, let me tell you this. If Jesus were sitting there, he would say to you, let my brother have the first cake, I can wait. Well, the two children sat there silent for a couple of minutes and then five-year-old Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, OK, Ryan, um, you can be Jesus. (laughs) And isn't that so much like us today? There can be no doubt about what Paul was talking about this morning. It was so radically different to what the world works or the way the world works and the way that uh, we think and act most of the times. The world says, get all that you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. But Jesus says in Acts, um, it's more blessed to give than to receive. See the big difference there. The world says, what's yours is mine and I'll take it if I can. The world says, take advantage of me and I'll get you back. But Jesus says in Luke 6.29, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold from them your shirt or do not withhold your shirt from them. When it comes to finding true joy, God's ways are much different to the ways of the world. The world has no real joy. And we must understand that the road to joy is a paradox. The world says that joy comes from aggression. Fight for it. Take what you can and leave no prisoners. Climb the ladder of success, no matter whom you have to step on. Well, over the next couple of sessions this morning and next week, we're going to look at four men and see how, during dark times, they let their shine. uh, Sorry, they let their light shine in the darkness of this world. The first is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, who has been given that name which is above every name. And then we're going to look at Paul, and next week we'll look at Timothy and Epaphroditus. So we have Jesus' example, and in the uh, Bible that I have, it says, Imitating Christ's Humility. That's the heading for this section that we're going to read now. 
chapter 2 of Philippians verse 1 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now those of you who were brought up in Brethren Church like I was, um, this, these set of verses were read just about every Sunday morning in our worship times. Either these or Isaiah chapter 52. But these verses are really important. And I want to try and encourage us this morning to think about them more deeply. Why did Jesus go through all of these things for us? Hebrews 12 verse 2 gives us a clue. It was for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. You see, the world's way is definitely not God's way. There could be no doubt that we live in a place that's filled with people and institutions who don't care about the needs and well-being of others. It's everyone for themselves. But Paul says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The world view is much different. This world view, I should say, is much different to the dog-eat-dog lives that many of us have been accustomed to. To put today's message in context, we need to look at what was happening at the church at Philippi. This is what prompted Paul to write this letter in the first place. You see, things were not all rosy at the time. And so in chapter 4, we get a bit of a clue of some of the things that were happening. In Philippians 4... We're told that two women, whom Paul described as fellow workers, these were people whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life, these two are not acting like the Christ that they claim as Lord. Have you ever done that? To my shame, I admit that I certainly have. Well, in any event, Paul writes to the Philippian church and he says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Sinchi, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you to help these women to get along. Help them to be like-minded, having the same love and being one in spirit and purpose. May they do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than themselves. And here comes the kicker. Your attitude, my attitude, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. It wasn't just the fault of these two women. It's all of us. It's all part of our attitude, isn't it? 
If you're like me, this is the point where you go, "Uh uh-oh. But we don't need to say, "Uh uh-oh. We need to say, cool. All right, this is what I want. This is the clue to how to live a successful Christian life. This is how I want to live my life. This is what it's all about, and it is. It just doesn't seem that way when we are... Uh, when we think someone else is in the wrong and that we are right, when our anger, when our anger is, um, is is stimulated by a bruised ego and it's burning bright, when we are asking people to take sides in the argument, when we are in a fight, when it's all about me, and when it's all about me, verse six of our scripture lesson is very applicable. It says. Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, uh, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. To every one of us who have been caught up in envy and selfish ambition, equality with God seems like a great prize. Something that could be gloried in and exploited for our own purposes. You know, if I had that power, I'd show them. But when we are caught in this kind of attitude, we are missing the meaning of power. God's power, true power, is found in complete and utter self-giving. And when I'm fighting to be, uh, for my right to be right, I'm not being in that self-giving attitude at all. You see, he goes on to say, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be held on to or used to his own advantage. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. And he's our example. What should we be doing? Think about it this way. Jesus Christ is God. But God emptied himself not in spite of being in the form of God, but because he is God. That's what God's like. Unlike humans, such as Adam, who tried to grasp equality with God. He saw the fruit on the tree and said, this is what I need to be like God, to know right and wrong. That Christ reached down and was born in the likeness of Adam. Whereas Adam disobeyed God's command, Jesus was obedient even unto death. And it says even unto death on the cross. And although he didn't deserve it, Jesus shared Adam's fate and he died. Worse still, he died by crucifixion. And that's a particularly and shameful way that rebels and slaves were put to death, executed by the Roman government. Being in the form of God meant dying the most gruesome death for us. Why did he do it? Because he loves you and even me. He looks after the interests of others. And this is the attitude of Christ. He makes himself nothing. And he did it not just on the cross. He did it his entire life while he walked upon this earth. For the sake of the multitudes, for his befuddled disciples, for the diseased, for the outcasts, for women, for children, for the Pharisees, for everyone that he came in contact with. This is the attitude of Christ, entirely choosing to pour himself out, even to the point of crucifixion. Not grasping at glory, but living, loving, and dying an emptied self. 
The Bible tells us that he could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him at any point. But he did not do that. He could have revealed his glory. He could have come down from the cross as they um, berated and teased him. But he chose to stay there for you and I. And this should be our attitude as well. There's a true story about Mahatma Gandhi. I don't know whether you know who he is nowadays, but he was the leader of the Indian people who gained independence from the British. Mahatma Gandhi was um, quite excited by the teachings of Jesus. He'd been reading the Bible and then he became terribly disappointed when he met those who called themselves Christ followers or Christians. Gandhi said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. What a testimony. What do people see when they look at your life, when they read your letter? And isn't that the way, and isn't that what the world is telling us this morning as they sleep in, as they go about their business out there? Isn't that what our young people are saying as they walk away from what they call organised religion? Jesus is nothing like us. When confronted with such a radical message, I like to ask myself, what difference would it make if I were to hear those words directed at me? How can I practice having the attitude of Christ? What part of my own mindset do I need to let go of in order to be like Jesus? What would change if I were to focus on my need to change rather than on the need to change others? Jesus Christ gave his life, not building himself up, but building others up. You and I are invited to have the same perspective as that of Jesus himself. We are invited to be like Christ who gave up power and privilege to be in the midst of a suffering world. There is no commitment more noble, more life-giving, more freeing than embracing the call to convert to humility, to willingly empty ourselves for others. Remember, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. He was looking forward to a positive, joyous relationship with you and I. And he went through all of that for you, for me. How should we respond to such love? How should we respond to such an attitude? So that's the example of the Lord Jesus. Let's have a look at Paul's example. In Philippians 2, beginning at verse 12, and it's headed up this way in my Bible, do everything without grumbling. Verse 12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, 
I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I'm reminded of an old chorus that we used to sing in Sunday school many years ago, and I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it's uh, talking about joy, and it says, put Jesus first, others next, and yourself last. And that should be our attitude, isn't it? If we want real joy in our lives, we need to put Jesus first in our lives, others next, and then ourselves last. In verse 17, Paul describes himself as being poured out like a drink offering, offered upon the sacrifice. Well, this is a figure of speech that is um, referring to the Old Testament drink offering we find in uh, Numbers and Leviticus. As the burnt offering and meal offering was being consumed by the fire, the drink offering was poured out upon it. And as the drink offering is poured over the burning sacrifice, it is evaporated in the heat of the flames on the altar and the drink offering disappears. And all that's left is the original sacrifice. Well, Paul uses this as an illustration of his own life and saying that I want to be poured out for Jesus where you don't see me or give victory or give me glory, but all you see is Jesus and his sacrifice and you give him the glory. This brought Paul great joy. And it is the opposite of what the world teaches us. Joy comes from sacrificing for others, not by competing with them. Christ won the battle without a sword. He defeated hatred without love. Oh, sorry, he defeated hatred with love. I'll get it right. He defeated lies with truth. He defeated pride with humility. He defeated hostility with kindness. He defeated bitterness with forgiveness. He defeated greed by giving. And he won by surrendering. The drink offering isn't the only word picture that he paints for us. Verse 15 tells us that we are like children in the family and stars in the sky. You probably can't see it very well, but you know what the night sky looks like. In actual fact, we're rather privileged in our country to know what the night sky looks like. Um, some friends of ours, they had a Japanese student come to stay with them for a while and... Um, They'd find her quite often at night sitting outside and just staring up at the skies because she'd never seen the stars before. That's how polluted the, uh, the atmosphere was in her country. Well, Paul tells us that we are to shine as lights like the stars in the night sky and he puts the light in us so that we may shine in this dark world. Jesus said he is the light of this world but here he commands us to shine like the stars of the universe, to be the light of the world, to be like him to let his light shine through us. And he says that once we were walking in darkness because of sin, in Ephesians 5 verse 8, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are, the, you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. You see, when you were born again, the light came on. And this is yet another joy bell which rings in this letter. And the brighter you allow your light to shine, the happier you will be. Now, there's a number of characteristics about light, and I'm just going to share three of them with you this morning. The first one, obviously, is light shines. Uh, and uh, when we think about light shining, light shines unless it's hindered. When a light is shining, it dispels darkness. Matthew 5:14 and 16 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Well, in the same way, 
Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then Paul names two bowls which hinder the light. Verse 14, murmuring and disputing. Murmuring, it's one of those words that sounds like what it means, like buzz or pop or thud. Illustration, you tell your kids to do their their, their, uh, homework or their housework or help with the chores around the place and you hear them walking away, "Mm, I don't want to do that, I don't want to play on my, 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 what do you call it, Xbox or whatever it is. Yeah, I don't want to do that. And that's murmuring. It's an undercurrent of complaining behind the scenes and when we murmur, our life and circumstances what we really are saying is, if I were in charge, I could do a better, better job of this than God. Murmuring is a bowl that will snuff out your light. In disputing or being argumentative, just as some love to complain, others love to argue for the sake of arguing. Do you have a need to fight and to win? Who is your enemy anyway? Light shines best when it's exposed to the dark. Verse 15 shows us three things that will help us light, um, help our lights to shine more brightly. Firstly, we need to be blameless. Blameless doesn't mean that you don't do wrong, but that when you do, you make it right. You make it right so others can't point an accusing finger at us. We own up and we apologise. We accept the responsibility for what we have done. We say, I am sorry, I was wrong. And sometimes those are really hard and difficult words to say. But if we were to say them, we could rejoice so much of our joy. We could restore so much of our joy. And if we could learn those words with our spouses, with our children, with our co-workers, with church members, it's humbling. But oh, the joy that it brings when that burden is lifted. The second thing we need to do is to be pure. Being blameless is being different to being pure. Blameless is in the eyes of others. Being pure is in your eyes. You know what's in your heart. I know what's here. I know the evil that resides there. And we need to do something about it. It's knowing in your heart that you are sincere and that your motives are pure. But when you do wrong, the hardest person to face should be yourself. If your conscience is intact... It will be like a mirror that daily confronts you. For John, 1 John 1 and 9 is a favourite verse of mine. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The third thing is we need to be without fault. Being without fault pertains to the eyes of God. It means that you don't give God reason to correct you. It doesn't mean you're sinless, but rather that your sins are confessed and you are attempting to forsake them. And the light will shine unless it's hindered by the bowls of complaining and arguing. Light is magnified when we are blameless, pure and forgiven. The second thing about light is that it shows the way. Verse 15b tells us that light is intended to shine in the darkness of the world. And it's easy for us to shine in our church like this but it doesn't stand out here like it does when you're outside at night. Until the 20th century, stars were used by sailors and other travellers to navigate the course that they were taking. Anyone know what that is? 
Yeah, sextant. That's what sailors used to use to find their way around the world. It's what Captain Cook used to find his way to New Zealand and Australia and other places that he explored in the Pacific. Today we use our GPS systems to navigate, but long ago people relied on the stars and maps to find where they were going. No lighthouse ever complained that it was being erected in a dark place because that's where it was meant to shine. You can show the next couple of slides if you like. You use them like that to work out where you are in latitude and longitude as long as you know what the time is. No lighthouse ever complained about it being erected in the dark. That's where it was meant to shine. It's like the night light in the hallway. I don't know whether you have one of those, but I'm getting old now and I need to get up several times in the night. And so I don't like stumbling and falling over, so I have a little night light in the hallway. So it doesn't keep my wife awake, but it's enough for me to see my way down the hall to find the little room. Not a very bright light, but it shows the way. The headlights on your car, a torch, whatever. Is your workplace a dark place? At your school, are things dark? Praise the Lord. The Lord put you there to be a light, to shine in that darkness. The Bible talks about us being in a crooked or depraved generation, a twisted and distorted place. You can find many other words to use today. We are in this dark place to shine like stars to point people to the Lord. Second Peter 1.19 says, We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Evil has risen to new heights in our world today. And the good news is that the darker our surroundings, the brighter our lights will shine. How crooked and depraved is our world today? We only have to look at politics, Hollywood, TV, homes, marriages, sexuality, abortion, economics, race relations, the media and so on. Our lights have an opportunity to shine very brightly. We can't change the entirety of our dark world, but we sure can help those who are seeking to find their way as we share the word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Light shines and shows the way. The next thing about light that we know is that light doesn't shine without a power source. Verse 17, Paul tells us that his life was being poured out as a drink offering. As a candle burns, the wick is consumed and the wax is spent. A similar thing applies to a torch with batteries that drain or oil and an oil lamp that burns out. It needs fuel. It needs a power source. You can't shine and share your light unless you are connected to the power source. We need the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to be able to keep on shining. Personally, I don't like heights. I don't know whether any of you have ever been to the Sky Tower in Auckland. And uh, up there it's got a glass floor. And I'm an engineer and I looked at this sort and I thought, I know it's strong enough to hold my weight and I'm going to walk on that. But I was looking through and I was just terrified. So I thought, well, I'm going to do it. And I stood and I moved on to it. And I said to her, look, I'm doing it. And she said, yeah, look at your hands. And I was holding on the rail and my knuckles were white. I was scared, I tell you. I don't do heights. Well, what if Noah said, I don't do boats? 
What if Moses said, I don't do sea crossings? What if David said, I don't fight giants? What if Paul said, I don't write letters? What if Jesus said, I don't do crosses? Real service requires effort and sacrifice. Then we will shine like stars. Not Hollywood stars. We don't need more celebrities. We need servants who are spent like a drink offering poured out upon the sacrifice, consumed for the cause. We need some nightlights. We need people to point the way in this dark world. Paul has used this chapter to give us two human examples of how to have joy. He began with the example of Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross for you and I. And then he uses himself as an example, as a drink offering who is poured out. So when you pour your life out upon the sacrifice of Christ, it's not you that gets the glory, it's him. In closing, I'd just like to read those two, three verses again. In Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships to one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. May God give you the patience and the strength and the courage to do this in your lives. Thank you and God bless. Thank you, Colin.